so I've been pray- I've been praying a lot uh, past couple of weeks, maybe about a month, about what to preach on. Um, I I want to go expository because I don't want to just do topical. Because um, I I tend to get really stressed out if I just do topical because I have to like you know like prepare something new. But I like it when there's a book about the Bible that we're going through. We know because we want the Word of God to be what leads us, right? I don't want like my like one day I feel like blue and I preach on loneliness, you know like. I feel like it's just it's just more uh, so there could be more of my flesh mixed in there. So I wanted to pick a book, but I've been praying and I haven't really been able to hear uh, what the Holy Spirit was leading me to. But for a while now, I've been wanting to preach on the parables of Jesus. And so, um, you know, Jesus taught a lot in parables, and uh, I've been wanting to do a like a short sermon series on the parables of Jesus. So that is actually what I'm going to do for maybe for about a month or a little longer. We're going to do the parables of Jesus. Um, as a, a top, like as a sermon series that we're going to go into for a while. Um, Matthew 13, all right, Jesus' uh, disciples ask him um, why he preaches in parables, right? And they're like, why do you tell us these stories that a lot of times don't make any sense, right? And then so Jesus answers them uh, to you, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, for to the ones who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the ones who has not, ha- who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak in them, to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that says, "You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive." For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they would see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And so Jesus tells him that every that like not everyone is going to be revealed the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. There were many people that followed Jesus, right? Jesus had a, a like it wasn't just the twelve disciples that followed him around, like you know, like a Jesus and his entourage. He like he had like you know like thousands, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people that would follow along Jesus, and and many of them like marveled at Jesus, like man, this man can do he can heal people. He, he I think he's the son of God. But then there were a good group of people that followed Jesus out of hatred, right? They just hated on him, and they just wanted to prove him wrong. They wanted to, like, catch him in a lie. They wanted to, like, catch him, like, saying something bad. And so there was a good number of people that basically followed Jesus around, wanting to reject him. And we're actually going to hear about one such person today. And so Jesus tells, Jesus teaches parables so that they can hear it and still not get it. These are people that have their hearts close to, to God and to Jesus. And so, you know, he, he would speak these parables to them, and they'd be like, they wouldn't be able to understand. Right? So whatever they have will be taken away from them. Whatever understanding that they thought they had right, is actually going to end up being nothing. And so he, he preaches in parables. He explains it in that way. He also preaches in parables to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, right? And says in Isaiah, what we read earlier, he, he, he recites a passage in Isaiah about like why he these people will, will 
will have dull hearts and they're not going to be able to hear or see the, the, the revelations of God that are coming to them. And so he liked to share his thoughts through parables that required his audience to go away and figure out the answers for themselves. Right? And I think it's, it's important for us to understand that God speaks to us a lot in this way. God could just tell you, like, you know what, Carol, I want you to move to Zimbabwe. And then you're like, oh, okay, I, no. Right? Or like, or, you know, like, Tabile, you're going to move to Turkey, you know, and become a missionary, right? She's actually going on a trip to Turkey. She's freaked out right now. She's like, oh, I don't want to be a missionary. You know? Um, like, if God would, like, tell us things straight out like that, right, we would, like, we would hear it, and then it would, but, but, uh, what God does sometimes is he actually puts a question in our hearts. He puts, like, something in our hearts where we have to actually go and take that and kind of wrestle with it, right, and figure it out for ourselves in our hearts. You know, if you, you know, if you don't know what a parable is, right, a parable is a simple story uh, that points to a greater spiritual lesson, right? And when you look it up in the lexicon, it says an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's actually what... The, the Jewish rabbis would call parables. They're like, they're earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Um, is Jesus teaching a spiritual lesson without actually using the words to describe that spiritual lesson? He actually uses like things that the people would understand to actually allude to the spiritual lesson that people, uh, that he wanted to give them. And a lot of times he talked about agriculture, right? Almost all the parables has to do something to do with agriculture, right? It's because it was an agricultural society, right? If Jesus came right now into our society, I don't know, he would probably talk about iPhones or you know, Instagram or something. I don't know exactly what he would use from our society to describe the spiritual lessons. But back then, you know, agriculture was one of the major parts of their mindset and their thinking. Right? They all had something to do with agriculture. right? And so he uses agricultural terms a lot in his parables to allude to the spiritual truth. You know, it's like a game of taboo. Who likes to play taboo? Anybody here? Who knows what taboo is, right? Taboo is like a game where you have a word, but there, and there's all of these words that would easily describe this word, but you can't use those, right? You have to come up with, like, so another ways without using these special words, and if you use it, you get, like, a buzzer in your ear, you know, like, and so, you know, you're trying to get at this word without actually using the words to get there, and that's what Jesus is doing, right? Like, Mina, when she, like, we had this, we had a couple friend over, uh, Lisa and, and, and Sam, and we played Taboo, but we mixed it up where it was me and Sam on one team and Mina and Lisa on the other team, and they were roommates for like three years, right? You know, and so we were doing it, and then Mina and, and, and they wouldn't have, even have to describe the word. They're like, oh, oh, this is what Caleb used to get you when uh, he liked you, and so, and it was like, it's like fruit, and I'm like, oh, it's not fair, right? Like, they know each other. I don't bear, I, like, I know Sam, but I don't know him like that, and so we would describe it like, it is a contraption that uh, produ- uh, cre- creates like a pixelation of, and we're like, what are you talking about? And it's like, it's a camera. I'm like, ah! Oh, like, <laughs> like, like, we have, we're, we, we're so technical and like, we're just so like, we're, we're guys and so we're just like, we only use one side of our brain and not very well, you know? And so, it's like that. Jesus is trying to, he's not directly wanting to just say, this is the lesson, right? But he's trying, he's using a story, he's using like, like, like a fig tree, he uses like a mustard tree, he uses these little things and puts it into a story so that the people will be, the ones that are open, their, their hearts are open and they, they want the revelation, right, and they, they see Jesus for who he is, they're going to be able to understand these stories. And the people that are, hearts are closed, right, 
And they're like, oh, this guy, how dare he, right? They're going to hear it, and it's just going to go right over their heads, right? Um, and so, you know, I, and I believe that, you know, Jesus used agriculture because a lot of the Pharisees had very little to do with agriculture, right? You know, they weren't, they weren't farming out there, right? They are just like, you know, they were all sitting in there being scribes and whatnot, right? And so these are stories that he wanted to use to create, like, to show the people spiritual lessons, heavenly truths. So at one point, Jesus, his ministry, he exclusively taught in parables. In Matthew 13, it's all parables, right? There's like, like a whole chapter of just parables. And I believe that parables are really important because, like Jesus says, they, there are the secrets of the kingdom. Right? Who likes secrets in here? Anybody? Right? I, I like secrets, right? I was just going to lie. I like secrets. I like it when somebody comes to me and be like, hey. I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, like, we like secrets, right? Like nobody in here is going to say, like, oh, I hate secrets, right? We all like the... Have secret. We like like to like be in on the you know on what's 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 on the down low. We want to know what that is, right? And Jesus says that these are the secrets of the kingdom. Right? I and and I believe that there's like like truths, like really real, really secrets of the kingdom that are hidden in these parables. And Jesus wants us to find them, that they will help us in the journey that we're on. And I heard one pastor say that parables are related to salvation in one way or another. If you read throughout the parables, they're all in some way related to some kind of like salvation work. Right? And even if you look at the ones that, that we're talking about today, it's going to be talking about salvation and the kingdom of God. The like, kingdom of God is this. The like, kingdom of heaven is this. Right? It's like this. You know? And so um, you know, these are greater than just things like stories that we're, that's supposed to teach us how to live. Right? Um, it's, it, these are stories that's going to help us to understand what the kingdom of God is, what salvation is is what 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 like it is for us to receive the kingdom of god so these are actually very important lessons so it's one of the reasons that i wanted to go into this uh, this this the parables of jesus and today i chose to preach the, the passage from luke 10 that uh, mina read today the good samaritan and this is one of the most uh, misunderstood parables i believe in the bible right um it's very misunderstood and a lot of like pastors and, and, and even like, you know, theologians, they read this passage and I believe that they misunderstand it, right? There's like, I, in preparation for that, I, I listened to and I read and I did all this, you know, like, so, cause like there's, a, uh, this actually comes from, my sermon today was inspired by a Judah Smith sermon. Who knows Judah Smith, right? The most hipster man you've ever met. Like he kind Mina said it yesterday. She's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I love his sermons, but uh, when you look at his Instagram, it's a little annoying, right? Because he's so hipster. Right? I never met anybody so hipster that actually preaches the gospel. But um, yeah, he's a he's a great communicator. And I, and actually, I, I heard this sermon when I went to the Hillsong Conference in 2015, and it kind of blew me away. And so, um, but when you read, like when you study this passage, the Good Samaritan, like a good number of like the, like pastors read it in that way, like, oh, we're supposed to help people. Like, we have to be the Good Samaritan. We have to go out and like you know do things and when somebody is like you know downtrodden you have to help them there's nothing wrong with that right i believe that jesus wants us to do that i believe that jesus is all for us helping people but that is not um the point of this sermon right um it like you know i believe that you know as the christians we're not doing enough i i, I believe that there, there's a part of us that we need to go out and really like reach out to the lost and reach out to the people that are destitute but it's not the main point of what jesus is trying to get at in this in this sermon. Um, so let's read this passage, like Luke 10. Where is it? Okay, Luke 10, 25 
verses 25 through 42. Um, is it right up there? Uh, and it reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says to him, What is written in the law? What does it, how, does, how do you read it? So this guy, he's a lawyer. He's so smart. He's a really smart guy, right? And he's not a lawyer like you know a lawyer to be. Right? We know lawyers as the people that stand before a judge and like, like, you know, I object your honor, right? right? All the times I've been to court, I've been to court a lot, right? I've always wanted to say that, right? I've always wanted to say Objection, Your Honor, right? I, every time I try to say to my lawyer, I'll be like, shut up, right? Just, just, right? I never had that opportunity. But this is not the type of lawyer that, that, that Jesus is talking about, right? This is a lawyer. He, he's an he's a expert in the Mosaic law. So he's expert in like what, what the Jewish people considers the law, right? It's a theocracy, right? It's not like America or Korea where there's a law that the government came up with, right? The Jews, they follow the law that, that God came up with. The Mosaic Law, and so he's an expert in the in basically in the Bible, what it says in the Scripture, and and Jesus has been teaching, and he's he's been he's had this great following of people, and this guy is like, I'm gonna put this guy to the test. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna stump this guy. I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna say something really smart, and he's gonna be like, duh, and everybody's like, oh, he's a fraud, right? This is what he wants to do. He wants to put Jesus to the test. So he goes to Jesus, and he's like. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So basically, he's talking about salvation, right? It's like, what do I have to do to inherit uh, eternal life? It's not, it's not a question. This this parable is not a question about how we should live, but he's asking a question about basically how am I going to be saved, right? And Jesus, knowing the intention of his heart, he flips the question on him, right? Jesus does this so many times in the Bible. When when somebody asks him a question, he does the most annoying thing, and he'll like ask him a question back. Who likes it when people do that? Mina will say like, like, like I'll say something, and she's like, "What? Well, you, you know?" She'll like ask a question back, and then like I'm like, "Oh, that's very infuriating, right?" But he does it like when the Pharisees came in, in in Mark 10. It says when the Pharisees came and tested him by saying, "Is is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" He asked him back, "What is what does Moses command you?" Right? Like he'll like flip the question back to the people. And Jesus would very often res- respond to a question with a question, I believe, it's because God wants us to wrestle with the question. Right? He wants us to have a, he doesn't want to just tell us the answer, right? right? But he wants us to like come, that's why in all through, in high school, we have to show the work, right? Right? I could have gotten A's if I had just like the question, look in the back, answer. You know, it's done, right? But we have to show the work, right? And so, and in, in, in this is what Jesus wants us to do. He doesn't want just to ha- us to have the answer. He wants the truth to be wrestled with in our heart. He wants us to have the question and like wrestle with it, so that whatever we come up with, right? And if we come to the truth and we're like, "Oh man, this is what God wants me to. This is what God wants me to do." The time that we've wrestled with it, it's gonna make that truth is gonna land more deeper in our heart. It's gonna be become more meaningful in our hearts. And so Jesus asked him. What does the law say? And the lawyer being, you know, a smart lawyer, he answers back. He answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to, to do this parable first is because I, I, I quoted this passage many times in the sermons that I preached throughout Joshua. Right? I talked about it a lot and I wanted to expound on this, on this command that God gives us. So the lawyer answers, love God. And then love, love my neighbors. And Jesus, upon him, he's hearing, he, he hears this and he's like, oh yeah, that's right, right? Do that and you will live, right? Go and do that and then you will live. And so the lawyer, like, you know, 
he, he, he's wanting to justify himself, right? And you got to understand the Jews back then, the, especially the, the, the um, like hierarchy, high up, like, like religious leaders that were out there, right? They had a very narrow understanding of what neighbor was, right? Um, in the Bible, Leviticus 19.34, I don't know if I have that. Yeah, is, is that right? Yes, okay. In Leviticus 19.34, it says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So he's basically saying, oh, you're going to love your neighbors, you're going to love the people that are around you, but you're also going to love the stranger among you. That's a command from God that we're not supposed to only love the people that love us. Man, like criminals love the people that love them, right? It's not hard to love the people that love us, right? It's not hard to have the, you know, like the worst person on earth still knows how to love the person that love them, right? But he's saying, no, but we not just that, but you have to love the, the stranger in your midst. Right? That stranger that comes up to you that doesn't know you, that you don't know them, you still have to love them, right? That's a, that's a law. That is written in, in the law as a command by the Lord. And the scripture is clear that we need to do this. But the Pharisees and the religious elite would take this passage out of context and certain passages in the Bible out of context, and they would you view their, their understanding of neighbor very, very narrowly, right? They would use... Passages like Psalm 139, 21-22. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Right? And, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Right? A lot of Americans th- are in here are thinking like, oh, there's a lot of people that think like this, right? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies, right? The Pharisees would do this, right? They would take this passage and be like, oh, like, you know those, like, you know those sinners out there? They hate God. But man, I can't be associated with with these sinners, and so I can't see them as my neighbors. I don't think I have an obligation to love these people because they hate God. Right? And so they would take these passages and they would narrow down their understanding of what a neighbor is very narrow. They would love like their fellow Pharisees or their fellow Sadducees or their fellow scribes, the people that were in like the, the religious elite of their of the society. They would be able to love them. They're like, hey, what's up, like? You know, like Ira Pharisee. Hey, what's up, Joseph Pharisee? How you doing? All right, like, oh, have some matzo balls that I made. My wife made. They love like to share and like commune commune with the people that were in their level, right? But but anything below that, like even fellow Jews that were sinners, they would be like, oh, they hate God. They're sinning against God. They hate God. Then that means they're my enemy, right? They would have this narrow view of what a neighbor was. And then Jesus tells him this parable. He's like, so he, so the lawyer, he's like, he wants to justify himself because he's like, he, he thinks he's already like got loving God down, right? The first commandment, love your God. But he's like, oh, I already, I'm pretty sure I got that down, right? But then he asks this question to Jesus. He's like, hey, Jesus, uh, it's a two-part question. Who is my neighbor? Because I'm pretty sure I got that down as well. He's thinking like, oh, you know what? I think, you know, I, I'm a little iffy on who my neighbor is, but I want to I wanna justify myself. And see and ask him who my neighbor is, so that to make sure that I'm good, I'm okay, I'm loving my neighbor, right? And so Jesus tells him this parable of the Good Samaritan, and it says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him for dead, right? You know, now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when we saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to pass, to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, right? Now you guys have to understand, all right, like what this actually, like, like 
the, the, the cultural ramification of what's, what's happening, right? Um, you have to understand that the priest, right? I have a picture of the priest, right? This is exactly what he looked like. The priest is just that. He's a priest, right? He is one of the highest figures in the religious hierarchy at the time for the Jews, right? Um, a, a priest was, was, in, in, was like a direct descendant of, the, of Aaron, right? Moses' brother. He was, a, he, was a, he, was like, he was a main man, right? He was considered holy. He can, he's the only one that can enter into the holy of holies, right? He's, a, he's the guy that should be the representation of God's law and his righteousness. Definitely, this guy is going to stop and help this man, so, this fellow Jew, right? But no, he passes on by the other side. Right? He does that thing where, you know, he like, you know, when, 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 when our kids make a mess, and it's like disgusting, right? I do this. I like pass on by the other side, right? I look at it like, oh, Mina's going to see it, and she's going to clean it up, right? I, like, I make sure I go to the other side of the room. I don't look at it. She, I seen her. I kind of do that, too. Like, our, our dog would sometimes poo outside of her puppy pad. I know she just went to, like, hang the laundry. She has to literally pass it. I go, I look at it. It's still there. I'm like, how are you going to just let that sit there, right? She passed on by on the other side, you know what I mean? So this priest passes by on the other side, right? He actually, like, I believe he they probably, like, Literally walk to the other side. We do, you know, and and, and cross, and and so this guy, he's the like the ultra religious, like the top of the uh, religious hierarchy. He passes on, on the other side, and then a Levite, right? This Levite passes. Is Levite? We talked about the Levites uh, in in the sermons through uh, Joshua, but these were uh, Levite was a chosen people of God. They were actually separated. They weren't given any kind of inheritance as a land, but they were actually chosen to be the people. That like like works and, and 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 supports and like helps the worship of God. So they would be the in the temples. They'd be the one that's like cleaning the temple. They'd be the one that's like setting up for worship. They would help with the sacrifices. These were also ultra like elite people. Out of all of the Jews and the Hebrews, the Levites were actually a class above them spiritually and religiously. Right? This Levite, right? He's passing him by. You know the priest. Might have not done it because he probably thought he was a dead, and you know, you know, you can't touch, you know, like Jews were not allowed to touch dead things, and so you know, we can't have an unclean priest, right? You, know, you can't have an unclean priest, but definitely this Levite's gonna pass. He's gonna see this man, and he's gonna go, and he's gonna help this man. And then, but then Jesus says, dude, he passed on the other side. He did what Mina did. And she saw Nuggets Dookie, right? And so. Like, so he is, these are, you have to understand, these are the two, like, top, like, religious hierarchy, like, they were, like, the people that everybody kind of looked up to, and they both passed on the other side. But then, Jesus says, but now a Samaritan, right? Now, when Jesus said this word, Samaritan, right, like, all of the Jewish people that were there, they all, like, their blood pressure just went up, right? Like, like they got acid reflux all of a sudden, right? I get that. When I get stressed out, I'm like, oh, that's a reflex, right? Because right? you have to understand, Jews and Samaritans did not mix. These were like the two groups of people that like, they, they hated each other, right? Like, they hated each other. Um, because like 600 years ago, when the Jews were conquered and, and sent to Babylon, right? And they were exiled into Babylon, not everybody was taken, right? There was a, like a small group of people that remained in Jerusalem, remained in that land, and then and then Nebuchadnezzar actually sent people from Babylon to live in this area. So it was actually a mixture when they came together and like, oh, you're pretty good looking. Oh, so are you. Let's get married. And all of a sudden, they started to like mingle and, 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 and become and marry with other, other foreigners. Right? 
these Samaritans were a mixture of, of, you know, like foreign pagans and Jews, right? And so when the Jews came back, they were like, oh, you guys aren't Jews. You guys aren't Jews. You guys, you guys worship other gods. And so there was this hatred that was formed between um, Samaritans and, 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 and Jews. And, like, like, the Jews would literally call them half-breeds, right? You know, like in, in uh, Harry Potter, like when they call them muggles, right? Like, you got muggle blood, right? It's like that. They would call them half-breeds. And they would treat them, like, with the same treatment as they would their dog, like, like dogs on the street, right? And I know some of you guys, you guys love your dogs, right? I love my dog, right? So that doesn't really relate. But you, bear with me. Like, these people would consider them dogs. Like, that's how much hatred that the Samaritans and the Jews had for one another. And so this guy, like this lawyer, and all his, his religious elites are listening, and they're probably thinking, all right, the Samaritan's going to come, and then he's going to kick him some more, right? And he's going to kick him some more and, like, you know, like, you know, like beat him some more until he dies, right? This is what the Jews are probably thinking, right? And then, but then Jesus tells him this beautiful story of compassion. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he held, had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took two, out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, the Samaritan goes to this Jewish man right, that's beaten, he's been robbed, he's naked. And he knows that if this dude was conscious, he would hate him. This Jewish man that's all beaten up, if he was conscious, he would look at the Samaritan and be like, Oh, you, you half-breed dog. You know, like, I spit on you, right? Whatever they, would, they did back then, right? He, he knew that if he was conscious, he would hate him. And yet he starts to use his own oil and his own wine to soothe this guy's wounds and bandage him up. And not only that, he takes his donkey or whatever horse he was riding, puts this Samaritan, and he goes to an inn, and he starts to take care of him for like, a, like overnight. And then it says the next day, right? It says, so he took care of this dude overnight. And the next day he takes out two denarii. A denarii was a day's wage, right? So some of you guys make about $100, $150 a day, right? This guy takes like... Two days wages, right? And he, he gives it to the innkeeper and he's saying, you know what, take care of this man. And if you, if you run out of money and you have to use more money, when I come back, right, I'm going to come back. When I come back, I will pay you back all of the money that you use, right? So this, this, the Samaritan goes out of his way and then Jesus asks him a question. And he says, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, the lawyer, he's shocked, first of all, but he realizes the question isn't, who is my neighbor? Meaning, who is worthy of my love? Right? That's, what the, that's what the Samaritan, that's what the, the lawyer is thinking. Like, uh, Jesus, all right, okay, let me, I have just one last question, right? Who is my neighbor? Meaning, who do I have to love? Who is worthy of the love that I have? Right? Who's worthy for me to give them love? But he realizes the question isn't, who is my neighbor? But the question is, who proved to be a neighbor? Who proved to be a neighbor? And then so this lawyer, he looks and he answers them, well, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even say Samaritan, right? The words won't even come out of his mouth. It's like the guy that did the nice things, right? And then Jesus tells him, you go and you do likewise. Go and do that, just that, and then you will have eternal life. Just go and do that. Do that. Do whatever the Samaritan did, you go and you do that. Right? And Jesus is saying this, and, and the and 
He says, do likewise, right? And, and now you have to understand that Jesus saying this isn't like, like saying it just do that once and you'll go to heaven, right? He's not saying like, oh, do that a couple of times and you'll go to heaven. But he's saying, you know what? Do this every time and you'll go to heaven. Do this every time, 100%. Right? Every time that somebody hates you, comes up to you, and like, you know, does all these cra- like crazy things, you go and you love them sacrificially and you'll go to heaven. Because the, the, the guy, the lawyer, threw the law at Jesus. He's like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In his mind, he's taking the law. And so Jesus throws the law right back to him. He's like, all right. The law says you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Do that 100% of the time, and you'll go to heaven. Jesus is saying, you go and do this 100% of the time. And when you see people that hate you and revile you, they see you as half-breed dog people that marginalize you and persecute you, you go to them and you love them sacrificially every time, right? And you can go to heaven. And this guy's thinking, like, who can do that? Who can do that? And I want to ask you today, who can do that? Is there anybody in here who can do that? 100% of the times. Now, I can't even keep my cool when I get a, a parking ticket, right? We got a parking ticket. Me and I got this parking ticket the other day. We're parking in a handicap zone. I looked at the picture, and the and the parking sign, like, like where, where it says handicap parking, is so faded, and it's so like gravelly, and it's so like messed up that you could barely see it, right? And then me, I asked Mina, "Why are you parking?" She's like, well, "I couldn't even see that. I didn't even know it was a handicap spot." So I called this guy, and I'm like, "Hey, can you look at the picture with your eyes? Show me what you see." And he's like, "Uh, this, this is your car, and it's parked in a handicap spot." And he's like, "Well, can you see the handicap sign?" He's like, "Not at first. But if you look real hard, you can make it out. And I'm like, then, then why did you give us this ticket, right? Because like, it's not like we intentionally parked and wanted to take hand, like parking spots around away from the handicap, right? My wife could not see it because you can tell, tell with your eyes that if you're driving and you look at it, you can't see it. And then the guy's like, oh, yeah, I can see how you think that. But she did park there, and uh, and you guys had to still pay the tickets. 80 bucks. And I was like, and in my mind, I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, I was getting heated, right? And I was like, oh, man. I was basically like, you're a thief, right? I was like, you're stealing from us, right? Like, I did, we did nothing wrong. And then I, I lost my composure. And I was like, I was getting so angry. And I was like, all right. And I, in the end, I, I hung up the phone and I decided to pay the ticket, right? Even, like, over a parking ticket, right? I can't even keep my cool. But Jesus, God's saying, man, you got to love, love the stranger amongst you. Like even when they're hating on you and taking your money, right? Even when they're, even when they're calling your name, even when they're gossiping about you, when they're, you know, like when when they when they're treating you bad, you have to still love them, 100 percent. It's with sacrificial love. Right? We can't. It's impossible for anyone. That's what the law is supposed to do. The law is supposed to reveal to us that we can't fulfill the law. We're not supposed to be able to because we're not perfect. And it reveals to us that we need to be saved. It's supposed to expose in our hearts a repentance that we can't do this without, you know, like we can't do this, period. And we need you. We need a Savior. We need God. And we throw ourselves at God's mercy. Right? That's what it's supposed to, to bring out in us, a law. Right? Because I can't love God with all my heart and my soul and my strength all the time. I can't love everyone, especially when they hate me, especially when they send me like unfair tickets or you know, treat me bad, right? Or they take my AC, 
$10 and sell it for $100, right? There's times where someone will do something really, really crappy. Like, 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 there's times when, I, when I'm out on the road and I'm driving and there will be, like, people, somebody will do something really, really horrible on the road, right? And there, there's times where I, like, I'll, like, compose myself. I'll be like, all right, I'm going to forgive that man. And I don't blow up. I don't honk. I just, like, let him by. And I just keep going. And then, and then I just, like, I say, all right, I forgive that man. And you, do you know, like, how proud I am of myself when that happens? I'd be like, oh, I'm such a good guy, right? I said, that happens to me so many times. Like these, I, I even tell Mina, I'm like, Mina, I believe I've been very patient these days. And she's like, yes, my love. And in my head, I'd be like, I am such a good guy, right? I, I do that so many times. Right? I get so proud of myself for just like being like normal on the road, right? But like, that's like, I can't do that 100% of the time. That's not something that I can possibly do. Who can do that? No one can do this. No one can save themselves with the law. No one can fulfill the law completely. But someone can. And someone did. And that was Jesus. Jesus took us who are half dead, headed to hell, who are broken, wretched, filthy, and he came and he cleaned us up and he paid whatever price he needed to pay to bring us back to life. He is the good Samaritan. The law that walked by, couldn't save us. The temple and even religion that walked by can't save us. Religion can't save you. There's a lot of people that think that they're going to go to heaven based on religion. Religion can't help you. It's only Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can conquer the law for us. We must, what must I do to have eternal life? This guy saying it, saying with his proud, He asks this question to stump Jesus, and he gives him the test. He's like, you can't do anything to save yourself and receive eternal life. I'm the only way. Matthew 5, 17. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. I think that's the, the only time in the Bible that has that word, iota, right? Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Right? Meaning God still holds us to the law. There is an expectation for us to still fulfill the law. But we can't. And he knows that, right? And God's like, I know you can't, right? And we're like, we're like God, do you expect us to fulfill this law? And he's like, do you think you can fulfill this law? This is That's what God is asking us, like, are we supposed to fulfill this law? He's like, he's like, do you think you can? And we wrestle with that. You know, we ask a question, and you ask a question back, right? And we wrestle with that, and we realize we can't. And we're supposed to say, he's like, I know. And then he's, he's like, but there's Jesus, right? And the answer is that Jesus, he came to fulfill the law. All of the prophecies that went before him, he fulfilled everything. You know, all of the prophecies, there's like 300 or 400 prophecies in the Old Testament, like pertaining to Jesus, he fulfilled every single one. He is a good Samaritan. So what happens to that law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. What happens to that command? Do we ditch it? Do we toss it out because it's too hard? Right? Do, we, do we toss it out because it's like impossible for us? I had this teacher when I was going to Biola, right? 
he was, I think he was fired from Berkeley University. He was a PhD gal, PhD. He was a PhD in economics, right? He used to teach at Berkeley, and all of a sudden he picked his, he told us, my family still lives in Berkeley, but I'm coming here to teach, and we're like, oh, that sounds weird. We found out later, I think he got let go from Berkeley. Because he was the weirdest guy, right? He was like genuinely from Berkeley, right? He was the weirdest guy that ever, he would talk, and, and his, his lectures would be like impossible to understand. Because he's a PhD, he's like, he's like, he's thinking on levels that are like up here, and we're just like, this is like freshman year economics. We're like, what the heck are you talking about, right? Like, like we, we, ne- we didn't, no one understood. He would talk about things. He never opened the textbook, right? He would ne- and then the test, first midterm came, and I remember sitting in that class and looking at it going like, I, this is impossible, right? And then we look around, everybody's saying like, this is impossible, right? And we literally just didn't do it, right? We're like, I, I, I can't do this, right? We literally ditched it out. And then, and like some p- kids complain, and then like he actually got switched over, and we had this other cost accounting ca- uh, class professor that came in, and he was like n- nowhere as smart, and his, he made it very easy for us, right? And everybody got A's. But do we do that with this commandment? Because it's like this is like we look at this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your, you know, and then love your neighbors as yourself, even the ones that hate you. And we're like, how can I do this, right? This is impossible. So what do we do with this law? It's too hard. It can't, it doesn't make sense. What, what do you mean when somebody like treats me this bad that I'm supposed to love him back? What do you mean that when somebody is racist to me that I'm supposed to love him back? What do you mean when somebody like, you know, steals my money? And, 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 and hits on my girl, and then I'm supposed to forgive this man and, 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 and love him back sacrificially. How do I do this? I think there should be an amendment to this like commandment. I think there should be an amendment. Amendment one, love your neighbors as your slave as long as they're not racist. Or as long as they're not mean. As long as they treat you nice. As long as that they agree with you, right? These are great amendments, man. You guys should be writing these down, right? Right? These, I believe that this should be the amendments to this command, but, but God's like, no, this is the law, and, the, and not a, not even like a character of this law is going to be removed before everything's finished. Right? This is still under you. You're still under this law. How are you supposed to fulfill it? We can't. That's the answer. We can't. No, Jesus Himself. It says, "For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot." We'll pass from this all until all is accomplished. Right? You don't think God holds you, like, you know, a lot of times we don't think that God holds us to this, right? He still does. The law is still there, but Jesus came and grace came into the picture. Now we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace, right? The law is still there, but then grace comes underneath us. We're under grace. He fulfills the law perfectly for us. And now we put our faith and hope in Him. Now He becomes our everything. Our righteousness comes from Him. And He, and, and we are under grace. And He fulfills the law for us. Under grace, we still have the same commandment. Right? That commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. That's still, we're still under that. But now we're under it, under grace. Now we can fulfill it under grace. And this next section, and I had Mina read Mary and Martha, right? It kind of shows us how we fulfill this, right? 
says, it says, now as they went on their way, right after Jesus tells this lawyer, you know, what's up with the Good Samaritan story, it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into our house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you look at this picture, Martha is like us trying to fulfill the law. Running around doing like, I got to, if I'm, if I you know, if I do this and if I help this person or if I, like, not do this and if I keep myself from doing this, then I'm going to be able to be saved. I'm going to go to heaven. That's what Martha's doing. Running around doing, 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 right? But Mary is just captivated by Jesus. Mary's just, like, looking at Jesus, listening to what he said, and just looking at him. Like, oh, he is love. He's, he's, he's just, like, love personified. Like, he's grace personified. He's looking at Jesus, and, and she sees Jesus for who he is. Martha is saying, Jesus, make her act right. We say that all the time. Like, God, Jesus, please make my wife act right. right? You know what I mean? Like we, we say that to, about other people all the time. And Jesus with, replies, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is how we, we fulfill the commandment of love your God and love others. This is by being captivated and just fully just on board with Jesus. His love, His mercy, His grace, His holiness. Only when we are in love with Jesus does this commandment make any lick of sense. And when we truly love Jesus and when we truly are facing Jesus and we're receiving from Jesus what He's giving us, only then does this commandment make sense. Love, love your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. In John 13, Jesus, he gives us a new commandment. And he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And then people will stop there and be like, oh, God, that doesn't seem like a new commandment, right? That seems like a regular old commandment that God gave us a long time ago, right? Love your neighbors. Love the stranger among you. I believe that. I don't think that's a new commandment. But if you let Jesus finish, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. Now that's a new commandment. We are to love one another from a revelation of the way that Jesus loves us. He loves us like the love, He loves us like the Good Samaritan. He loves us sacrificially. He came and the world rejected Him. And the world beat him and hung him on a cross, and yet he still chose to love us. And he still chooses to love us today. Even his death on a cross, he still chose to love us. I'm not saying that helping people in need is wrong, right? That's, like when I say that that's the wrong interpretation, I'm not saying that you know, we're supposed to ne- neglect like, helping people. That, you know, like we, we, that's what we're supposed to do as believers in Christ. We're supposed, you know, like there's plenty of commandments out there where Jesus is saying, like, you know, like, be the homeless, right? Visit people in prison, right? Like these are the people that you're supposed to, to love and care about, you know, sacrificially. But this, this right here is talking about salvation and saying, you know what? The law, the law like this, you can't fulfill it. 
And the only one that can fulfill it for you is me. Because we can't love perfectly, right? Anybody here love know how to love perfectly? Excellent. We can't love perfectly, but we can be loved perfectly. Right? I can't love perfectly, but I can be loved by Jesus perfectly. Right? And it's only when we are loved perfectly can we attempt to love people the way he loved us. This parable is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the cross. And we have to understand, there's an expectation for the church today. Right? We don't feel it so much here in Korea, right? We don't really speak Korean that much, right? So we don't. But there is a big expectation that the world has for the church in how we act. Like the church is under a microscope right now. Especially in America. Who's from America, right? A lot of us from America. The church is under a magnifying under a microscope. The country is so divided, right? It's so divided. And they know that this commandment, the world knows this commandment very well, and then the world knows that this is supposed to be what the church is doing. And so they're looking at it. They're saying, like, how is the church going to do this? And the church will fail. Right? And the church has failed many times. A lot of Christians in America fail. We don't realize that we will fail under the law. We will fail under our own understanding. And the only way that the church will be victorious is if we face Jesus. Right? And we receive the love of Jesus. And as we receive the love of Jesus, we love other people like that. Right? That's how we are able to love people that hate us. That's how people, like, people are... are, are you know, like, I was an immigrant American, right? If somebody back then told me, like, are you an immigrant? I would be like, you know, like, I'd be like, I would have karate chopped it. I don't know any karate, but I would have transcended. And there, there's a lot of people that, there's a lot of hate going around, right? And only when we receive the love of Jesus and we are able to intend, like, give that love away, that's the only way that we're going to be able to love sacrificially, love the way that Jesus calls us to love. The only way that the church is going to be victorious is if we love Jesus. There's so many, so many issues and so many things that the, the, the country is dealing with, right? right? And, and like the LGBT community and all these. There's a lot of like, you know, gay people are coming to church now, right? And then it's like, how are we going to love them, right? Are we going to be like, get out of here? Or are we going to love them like Jesus called us to love them, right? Are we going to, are we going to like say like, oh, I love you except for this, right? God didn't say love your neighbor, you know, like until this point, right? No, God said love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love, love your neighbor as the way that you would want to be treated, right? How do you do that? Well, you love from a place where you're loved by Jesus. You're like, oh, Jesus, you love me so much. I can't believe the way that you love me. And I can't believe how I get to experience this every day of my life. And from that place of love, from that place of complete acceptance from God and from Jesus, you're able to do anything. That's the only place that you're going to be able to love anybody the way that God loved us. He offers us grace. He offers us mercy. He offers us His great love. And when we're loved perfectly, only then we can attempt to humble ourselves. Love requires humbling. You know that, right? In order for us to love, we need to humble ourselves. Only when we humble ourselves 
Are we able to love anywhere close to the way that Jesus loved us? Let's all stand up. Let's close with prayer.